What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. After you listen to today's podcast, here's one to add to your playlist. I'm Christian O'Connell, and I've had this thought for a while. What if you took the world's funniest and most interesting people... Hello, I'm Ricky Gervais. I'm Celeste Barber. Remember, call me Beyonce. I'm Russell Brand. ...and asked them to share the stories behind their three most treasured items. No doubt about it, the guitar. I think I know the same chords now as I did when I was 14. From iHeartRadio, this is The Stuff of Legends. Add it to your playlist for free. Just search for Stuff of Legends in your podcast app. For the week of Thursday, April 16th, are the fundamental tenets of federalism coming unraveled? Are his near-daily Jeremiah's against the White House press corps a sign that President Trump is coming unraveled? Is it possible that an accusation of misconduct could lead to Vice President Biden's good guy image coming unraveled? Does anyone still actually remember a time when things were actually raveled? And is raveled even a word? Our guests in quarantine from Los Angeles, Knoxville, Tennessee, upstate New York, and Raleigh will help us try to answer those questions and maybe even stumble upon an answer to the question, how the heck are we going to get along? Hey, I'm Clay Aiken, and this is Politicon's How the Heck Are We Gonna Get Along? Our panel this week is incredible, as always. Conservative commentator and on-air host at The Daily Wire, Alicia Krauss, is with hey, us. <laughs> Executive editor at Above the Law and justice correspondent for The Nation, Ellie Mistal is with us. Writer, director, occasional health inspector at Bob's Burgers, and host of the daily political podcast, The Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Sam Cedar's here. Hi. And- and three-time <laughs> WWE world champion wrestler known to millions as Kane, but best known now to the citizens of Knox County, Tennessee, as Mr. Mayor. Mayor Glenn Jacobs is with us today. Hey, y'all. Hey, I like to y'all. say y'all. Yeah, I like to say y'all. Hey, listen, you're, <laughs> you're with us. You're, Tennessee. you're with a Southerner here. I'm from North Carolina. <laughs> I'm not too far away, so I understand that kind of talk. Um, <laughs> how's everybody doing during the, uh, during the quarantine? What are we in week four now? And are we? All the days work together. It really (laughs) totally has completely uh, together. Sam, you were talking about how they ship alcohol now. Is that true? Uh, Yes. I have found just about every place on the East Coast that will ship alcohol. I could give you a rundown of how long it takes to get to my uh, location. (laughs) Are they faster Um, than Amazon is now? Well, uh, it it, it depends. I mean, I have a a whole relay system that is set up. I've, I've got people on... On dog sleds and uh, horses <laughs> that bring it to me. So I, I, can, I can use that information, Sam, because I am on week five of quarantine. Because I pretty much started self quarantine once uh, Mike Pence was put in charge of praying away the coronavirus. <laughs> Uh, how are you how are you how are you holding up? What are you doing? Is there anything you're watching, listening to? What are you doing to get you through this quarantine, Ellie? Well, for me, I'm a video game guy in normal times, and that is just really heightened uh, during during the uh, the quarantine. I, I, I suggest to everybody 
pull out the PlayStation, pull out your Steam account. Um, it's a good way to socialize. I still play with my friends kind of, you know, every weekend. Um, instead of going out to the bar, we play Destiny or we play even Fortnite, which I hate, but I'll play um, to, to get some social interaction. When I want to go out, I play a game called No Man's Sky and I go fly from planet to planet and, uh, and immerse myself there. So I have lots of entertainment that keeps me away from watching Tiger King. And other than getting the coronavirus, the only other thing I'm concerned about is protecting myself from Tiger King. Wait, you have still not seen it? I have still not seen it. Oh, how dare you. Alicia, have you? <laughs> I just have to say, as someone from Oklahoma, um, no, Joe Exotic does not represent all Okies. Oh. Like, we are not like that, okay? So just putting that out there. But listen, like if, if y'all were, I would love you because <laughs> that's exactly what my family all looks and acts like. I feel like Joe is very much more uh, Florida man than Oklahoma man, at least based on my time in both of those places. But uh, um, I would I would recommend watching Joe Exotic. I actually have a friend whose husband is a defense attorney, and he is gung ho about working on his his like case. And I told him he needs to turn it into a podcast because what he needs to do uh, is go get take on Carol's case because Carol's going to get indicted for ki- having her. All right, spoiler alert! Spoiler <laughs> alert! Oh, Sam, you're representing her. Sorry. Yes, sorry. I, I have not. I have not had time to watch. I'm actually like busier than I've ever been. I've got to do my show five days a week and I, I do a morning show as well. And then, you know, I'm sequestered with my kids. And so I don't, uh, I don't have a babysitter. So I've got to, and now they're doing homeschooling. So I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, and, and I guess I'm just leaning very heavily, like uh, we said at the beginning of this on, on bourbon, mostly. <laughs> mostly bourbon. <Parenting> is hard. <laughs> I've been drinking far too much and I have also, I'm a, like, I'm a natural extrovert. I'm sure a lot of us are like we're in politics and media, so we have to be right. Um, but I haven't realized that I need my like mommy time, my alone time. And I need to figure out how to do that. But I've been baking a lot and I'm pleasantly surprised at all the tasty things I've been making. So if you guys want some kumquat marmalade or anything from the craft house let me know and i'll ship it to you oh well (laughs) we might kumquat marmalade i don't know about but i might put you up on some food because i'm stouffer's i'm putting out of business (laughs) is it fermented because i could be in on that (laughs) (laughs) mr mayor i'm sure you are somewhat busy uh taking care of um your your constituents but have you have you had time to watch or do anything to relax or try to unwind or or decompress from what you're having to deal with day to day i've been digging through my attic looking for relics i found the bill of rights we don't seem to follow that anymore so that was a good find for me uh, <laughs> that was that was that was that was fun was, so you're saying find, you're cleaning yeah. the attic or are you going to look well, for- i was just going through it you know i was thinking of things that you know are no longer uh used in our society and i came across the bill of rights and i was like wow we used to have this thing and we a don't bill of rights to- just sitting in your attic. yeah yeah which yeah. one do you think we're which one do you think we're ignoring the most right now which one of them because uh, i think some folks would first would argue that maybe the 11th or the 10th well no the that's first, actually, that's not part of the bill of rights it's only the first oh that's 10. true yes Same. you're talking that's about why the, that's why the i called special them. ed instead of yeah. american but history I, I, <laughs> I would argue that the first fourth and fifth uh, most of all but i think the whole thing is it kind of ancient history at this point the um the the 
first one because of religion, the first one because of free press? Which one? Which part of the First uh, Amendment do you think is being abandoned? And, the most? Religion and assembly, of course, and in some cases, uh, uh, freedom of speech too. Because you've seen uh, some folks try to, uh, in, in politics and elected officials, uh, threaten social media and people for putting out um, false information. Uh, the fourth, because we have an implicit right to travel uh, with the protection against unre- unreasonable searches and seizures. And the fifth, because we have due process and you can't just shut things down uh, without any due process, which is what's happened. So um, anyway, it was it was a good idea, but it doesn't look like it turned out that great. The, the, the Bill of Rights was a good idea, yeah. but not doesn't seem to be working. Sam, do you agree? Ellie, do you agree? Do you think that we're we're ignoring people's due process rights by not letting them by, by shutting businesses down? I, I mean, I personally, uh, I, I personally don't. I mean, I think there's. I mean, if people want to take a case to the courts and argue that that's the the case, uh, I mean, I'd be interested to see how how that lands. I mean, I think uh, Ellie would have a better sense of this, but um, the, none of these rights are absolute. They're a function of of uh, a valid state state's interest, and I think. Actually, know, that's not, not having true. Nowhere in the Bill of Rights does it say that we will lift these in case of. And in fact, I yeah. think what we'd ask the founders is they would say they, they are absolute. Uh, well, we can ask the founders. And we can, <laughs> can put some restrictions. You can put some restrictions on certain things, but uh, that's not well, what's happening. I guess my point is. To me, the time with. Go ahead, Sam. Well, uh, let me just say that uh, you can have your conversation with the founders. I'll have my conversation with the founders, and it's really just uh, our own, uh, uh, you know, because um, the founders are not here. So well, I, mean, um, I think there's a long precedent for the states. But I guess, too, I guess it comes there's to the point a of a long history you know, the, of the courts abridging these rights. Well, yeah, the, the courts uh, have abridged for, everything over time, unfortunately. Well, let's let, let's let well, Ellie get right. in here. I want to get Ellie yeah. in here because, you know, he's Please. got this new he's got this new justice correspondent uh, title. Um, you know, Ellie, give your opinion and then tell me if you think that there's a specific amendment within those first 10 that are being that's being um abridged more nowadays look guys i think that the time to argue about this and it's an interesting argument but i think the time to argue about this was sometime around donald trump declaring a fake national emergency to build a wall right like it was then that i wrote about how our national emergency laws need to be significantly rethought and recontextualized for the modern experience what we're seeing right now is not so much a violation of a bill of rights because the governors are using these powers if you agree that the governor should have these powers in the first place, and that's being done by statute. That's been done by statute in 50 different states, and the time for arguing about that is probably not in a crisis, but when when people are in a better frame of mind... You have to admit, though, that part of the reason why people are talking about this now and why the general public is talking and concerned about this now is because we are in a once every, what, 100, 150-year pandemic and a, and a international crisis. Like I, you know, my dad was flying on nine 11 and when I was 14 years old, that was probably one of the most, uh, horrific things that had happened and it was the most horrific thing that I had experienced and loved people that, you know, sacrificed and, and died thereafter in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like that was a big momentous occasion in my upbringing, right? My kids are going to look back on this. Y'all's kids are going to look back on this. And this is going to be a huge event in in all of history, not just American history. And I think that 
Yes, you could argue, oh, we should have talked about this back when President Trump said we wanted to build a wall or President Obama did X, Y and Z and was droning U.S. citizens from the sky or et cetera, et cetera. But the reason we're talking about it now is because our economy is dying. We are dealing with a pandemic that we do not have all of the facts about. And everyone is concerned that if they go out, they're going to bring something back to grandma and grandma's going to end up dying. And people are saying, but where does the line end? Like, where does it start and where does it end? And where's the transparency? and we need to be having this conversation now. So I get what you're saying, but we need to be having the conversation all of the time. And that's the beauty of the United States is that we can do that. I'm glad that you brought up 9-11 because it seems to me like that's a perfect example for what we should actually be worried about. After 9-11, what we saw in response to that tragedy was an extreme um, overemphasis on state power, on state surveillance. There are 9-11 laws. There are Patriot Act laws that people have been fighting against that are still on the books 20 years after after the tragedy. There was actually... You have conservatives, conservatives, by the way, that brought that on March 15th and McConnell delayed the vote to take those laws away because of the coronavirus. So I'm all for being concerned about our civil liberties and civil and, and civil um, um, freedoms, but the time to be concerned for, for that is when authoritarians try to use crises um, to take away rights not in the middle of the actual panic. So do you well, think that is- Marjorie and Gavin Newsom are authoritarian in this perspective, or is it just Donald Trump, because I'm seeing a lot of double standards, and I'm calling out my own side too, and it's really pissing me off. Yeah, and, and the I'm issue is protesting, protesting okay. like to, totalitarianism, and they're pissed at I don't know Whitmer in Michigan, which if I lived there, I'd be pissed at her too. But then they are ignoring the fact that a lot of these edicts are coming from the federal government. Yeah. And the the issue is, as as you brought up, you know, we never went back after nine eleven to pre-9-11 civil liberty status. And the fear is, and I I get what you guys are saying, trust me, okay? Um, You know, as we're moving forward, what does it look like after this, after its precedent has been set, that government can just tell vast swaths of the economy to shut down? You can literally tell people, you know, the, the... Rights that are implicit, sorry, explicitly protected by the First Amendment, assembly and freedom of religion, and again, in some cases, freedom of speech, that those are actually can be suspended for any reason. So all that has to happen from now on is the precedent is set and another emergency and the same thing happens. And, and that's the issue. Oh, Sam, you get in because you hadn't spoken. Well, I, I mean, I'm just confused. I mean, do we not have a concept in American law that you can't cry, uh, uh, yell fire in a crowded theater? I mean, I think we do. And I think the idea is that this is to protect uh, people in that that uh, theater. But, but and you're telling and the guy I, that I will the say, guy I think there hate. is a there is a um, a regional difference here, too, as you know, I mean, I um, I'm. Uh, coming from a city that 10,000 people, over 10,000 people at this point, I mean, well over 10,000, have died in the past four weeks. And um, that's a pretty dramatic thing. And I, I, I mean, I have to tell you, from my perspective, this is not something that people are talking about. Um, there, I have not really heard much from anybody uh, you know, in, my, in, in the region in which I live. And, and now I'm up uh, in, in a place that's fairly rural. Um, where people are, are complaining about this because they see 
the implications of this firsthand. And um, I think that the, uh, I, I think your disposition on this would change, um, and it may, uh, when you start to see the impact of the wanting to do the things that you want to do that frankly, you know, uh, even if you take the most libertarian perspective on this, that uh, your rights end at my nose, your right to punch ends at my nose. The fact of the matter is when you go out and engage in these things, you're punching me in the face and it may be fatal. I want to see if I'm, I just want to make sure I'm clear on something because I, I, I don't know if I'm understanding you right, Glenn. You said that I, I, it's because it's the first time I've heard this argument. Are, are you making the case that, that, people's First Amendment's r- Amendment rights are being um, abridged because they are not being allowed to assemble, peaceably sure. assemble, as the First Amendment says that we can, and therefore we're being told we can't go to restaurants with or do groups of no, more no, than no, 50 no, people? No, yes, I mean, is that, that what you're saying? What is it that you're using in the First Amendment for well, assembly? Well, for, in- for instance, just in North Carolina, there was a case uh, where there was a protester, and they were told that their First Amendment right to protest by the police was suspended and then also what what was what was this case uh, it it was it was just in the news i'm sorry it was was just in the news um and i don't know the exact case my apologies for that uh but yes we do have a right to to assemble and when we prohibit that for any reason now we can encourage people not to we can tell people not to we can do everything but when you start mandating that that becomes an issue and it's the same with freedom of religion you know in Kentucky last weekend, uh, there was an injunction put down by a federal judge because the mayor of Louisville was trying to prohibit drive-in services at churches. The governor of Kentucky was sending out, was sending the police out to collect license plates at services. Um, And a pastor, pastors have been arrested in Florida and Louisiana for having services. So, um, Let's let Ellie get in here. Let's let Ellie get in here. Yes, the case that Glenn is referring to happened yesterday in Raleigh. They said that they were aware of a hashtag reopen NC protest that is occurring in downtown Raleigh on Wilmington and Jones Streets. This is according to the Raleigh Police Department Twitter. They said the protesters are in violation of the governor's executive order and have been asked to leave. When somebody said... What part of the governor's order was violated here? The police department responded, quote, protesting is a non-essential activity. Yeah. And that's, so that's the where that's the issue, guys. Let me clear the thing a little bit, just a little bit, because he, the mayor was not trying to prevent religious services from happening. And the, the checking of the license plates was done to track the spread of the virus. It was not there to prevent people oh from God. receiving services. Now, we can argue that we prob- that maybe we don't want to track the spread of the virus in that way. I have argued, again, in writing, that I would not be willing to download any kind of tracking app um, to, help, to help the government take my temperature without my consent in the same way that I don't like any of these Patriot Act um, um, laws. So I'm kind of with you on the core issue of like, we have to be concerned about over overzealous executions of government power just because it's a crisis. My right. issue is more, my issue is simply that we have to be concerned about the right kinds of overzealousness, right? My concern is not so much whether or not I'm allowed to go to a bar in Westchester County where I live, which happens to be one of the epicenters of the virus. My concern is whether or not a woman in Texas can get a medical abortion. 
And that is the right that's been taken away during this coronavirus that I find much more troubling on a constitutional level than than whether or not I can go to, to Met game. Right. First Amendment is actually in the Bill of Rights. I don't see Roe v. Wade or abortion. Yeah. Like uh, well, I mean, listen, you can't you that that is a, that's something that's been addressed by the Supreme Court, whether it's in the Bill of Rights or whether it's in a further down one of the one of the more recent amendments. It's it's been determined by the court. So let's not get let's not let's not we're not going to fall down that rabbit hole today. That's not our point here. I want to I want to ask you, uh, Alicia, because you you read a piece of a, a, a clip from the article about the North Carolina case, and of course. Mm-hmm. Me and Raleigh, I'm, I had not heard of it. Maybe it's because I'm ignoring the news because it's driving me crazy. Um, but but I quickly went to our local paper and and I was struck by I'm struck I guess and I want to ask you a question about this by a quote from someone who was at that uh, rally. Um, okay. Leonard Harrison of Mebane said, "Quote: We are in violation of Comrade Cooper's order. If I get locked up today, I'm today I'm okay with that." Um, is there a point, and this is not just about um, the coronavirus or these issues, but is there a point that people on either side, not just on, not just conservatives, perhaps like this guy is, but liberals do it too, that people are just looking for ways to be upset, looking for things to get angry about, looking for reasons to protest because they don't like the other party and because we've turned a national pandemic a health emergency into a political issue is there a problem with people making the when you say we're in violation of comrade cooper's order uh, trying to imply that a incredibly moderate democratic governor is a communist (laughs) seems a little incendiary and hyperbolic to me are people just looking for reasons to be angry do we need to get politics out of this and you see this i mean uh, welcome to politics in the united states i seriously and in so many ways everything's reminding me 2020 is unfortunately i think a political repeat of 2016 where we i guess you could argue that we have an international entity that is evil that is really interfering with our media and our social media and our election and deliberately trying to spread lies uh, about what is happening on top of the fact that now you added a pandemic to this. Of course, you're going to have people, the four people we can even agree on this podcast. Like uh, there are going to be things where Trump bad, big, big orange guy bad. And then there's going to be other people that are using that as an opportunity to bash the Democratic Party, like in North Carolina or, you know, in Michigan or here in California, for example. But I think it's especially heated because you have the the fear of people being worried for themselves and their loved ones. And then you also have this economic fear that is very real, that is hitting home. I mean, I've lost income. My husband is a contract worker. He's lost multiple clients. My sister works for one of the largest restaurant groups in LA. She's the only existing employee. I mean, my mother runs a business in Oklahoma that's all vacation rental. Guess what? 95% of that business is gone. You have people all across the country that are dealing with the immediacy of how am I going to pay my mortgage? I have to lay off all of these people. And then the fear of the health aspect as well. And of course, people want to be able to point the finger and say, who is to blame for this? And that's the person I'm going to go after. Right. But is there, I mean, Mr. Mayor, Glenn, let me get you in here because you've got, you're, you're in a county where you've got, uh, I think around 107, is it 174 confirmed cases now? Um, Fortunately, you've not had, you've been lucky. You've not had as many deaths. That's wonderful. Um, But what's the point at what point i guess the question that I, i'd like to know the answer to as as someone who's leading a, a health department and a government you know 
how deadly would it need to get for you to be comfortable with putting on some of these restrictions? I mean, you're in a you're in a fortunate situation because you've had a little less impact. But in a state or a city like in a city like New York or a state like New York, where they've had 10,000 plus deaths in the city of New York at, alone, does there come a point when the pandemic becomes so bad that you do say as a leader, okay, yeah, I definitely do believe that we need to follow the Bill of Rights, but at some point, I have to keep people safe. Is it easier to say these rights are being trampled on when you don't have as many deaths and as many cases in your county? Well, here's here's the situation. Um we're not just facing a health crisis. As Alicia said, this is going to be the num this can be the first of a number of crises because it's morphed into an economic crisis, which is going to cause a fiscal and monetary crisis. We see the federal government is printing ginormous amounts of money, trillions of dollars. I mean, this year alone, the deficit's going to be in excess of $4 trillion, Okay, That's going to cause uh, a real, not only an economic problem, but a fiscal problem, which is going to end up in a political issue as well. Um, you know, we go through these crises every 80 to 100 years. Yeah, but I guess my but, point is, it's easy I, I, to say I, I, that because, I, yes, the economic issue is worse for you right now than the, the than the health issue. Absolutely. Sure, but I think... At 174 think confirmed very, cases think, and four deaths, yeah, it's definitely yeah. worse. But, from the very beginning, we've you, made a huge mistake. What happens mistake. When you, if you were to get 5,000 confirmed cases in your county? What happens if you get to the point where it's 500 deaths instead of just four? We've made a huge mistake. Do you mistake. at that point say... We have made a huge mistake in the way, as a nation, I believe that we have the strategy which we have used, okay? Um, what we should have done is, from the very beginning, isolate the vulnerable and at-risk populations as much as possible. And uh, what they're doing in Sweden, and they're taking some heat for it because they're seeing an uptick in the number of cases and the number of deaths, but we have to look at the entire cycle of this thing. So, yes, it would be – it would, yeah – Okay. Yeah, this is we should lock everything down. What happens? How do we get back out of the lockdown? That's what's That's the, the exit strategy. There is no exit strategy. Yeah, and I gotta there say, it's really scary to me as somebody. And so if you look at what Sweden, well, you look at guys. If let me finish. If you look at what Sweden's doing, you know, the young people are still out. They've they have closed uh, bars. They've put some restrictions, light restrictions, nothing like we've done here. They're seeing more cases. They're seeing more deaths. But the thought is, and what we've done here, we all have to keep in mind, we did this to flatten the curve so that the healthcare system wouldn't be overrun. And I realize that's different, yeah. different in New York. But now we're at the point of, well, we can't loosen everything up until we have a vaccine. That could be months, maybe even years. Okay. Now, is that something what? that the president said or the government's uh, governments no, in, in the state I, of Tennessee has said, that's, that's or is that the, something that you're reading somewhere? That's what that's what if you look at, let's say, what Dr. Fucci says and the other experts, it has morphed from, you know, from flattening the curve so the hospitals don't get overrun till now. When can we lighten up on these restrictions? And the other day, Dr. Fucci said, well, uh, when we don't have any more cases, and don't see a rise, uh, an increase in deaths. That's an issue. Yeah. So how? I mean, what's, what's the exit no, strategy? No, no. The, the exit strategy. 
The exit strategy is testing. The reason why Sweden's able to do what Sweden's doing is because of testing. The thing that we didn't have, the thing that the federal government didn't provide for is testing. You can't do what Glenn just suggested unless you have testing. The whole issue has been that we don't and still don't, we didn't and still don't have enough tests. So the kind of targeted isolations that Glenn is talking about, we're going to quarantine you, but not you. You're healthy, you're not. We know we know we from mortality rates who you should quarantine. No, we don't know who you should quarantine based on mortality rates because this disease can be spread by people with no symptoms. And after we have more testing, after we are in a situation where everybody can get tested, then we can be in a situation where we can say like, oh, you're healthy, you can go out. Oh, you're exposed, you can go out. We're never going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to test Every single American. South Korea is. I don't know that that's necessarily fair, Ellie, because South Korea is not testing everyone. There's not yeah, really not been a everyone. country that has tested everyone. Yeah. There has there have been countries that have had perhaps more targeted testing. There have certainly been countries that have, have done a better job of testing people without symptoms than we have. Oh, but Korea I don't think any country has tested people. everyone. That's fair, Clay. South Korea is testing everybody who they think has been exposed and who they think is at risk. We are nowhere near doing that. And we won't be able to get out of this economic shutdown. And so, so like, here's here's the other thing, right? Like, if you, like Glenn, like Alicia, are really concerned about the economic aspect of this. And I'm want concerned to about both parts of it, okay? And, I'm, and I'm very concerned about all of it. And I'm kind of sick and tired of people. Ellie, God bless, you, God bless you, Ellie. You've you're got to let Alicia get in here some. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, just so you know, I'm very concerned. Please don't just pretend that I'm concerned only about the economic outcome here. I live with, with two people that are uh, immune suppressed and, and at risk okay i'm concerned about all of it and i am sick and tired of people saying well either you care about the economy and you care about people's jobs and suicide rates and depression and and violence that's increasing and in homes blah, blah, or you care about this like i care about all of it and i also am soaking in all of this data from all over the world and there is no country in my opinion that we should be duplicating or mimicking because there's no country like ours like you mentioned South Korea, they have 51 million citizens. Guess what? Part of the reason we've had testing issues is because a lot of our crap comes from China. And this is an increasing problem that conservatives, by the way, have been talking out about for a very long time because oh, of the dear. supply lines. Well, let me, I mean, listen, so, the, so you, you, make, you make a good point, Alicia, and I think it says, you may, Alicia makes a good point, but I want to, we, we've all... Every all three, and you know what? I got. I should just go ahead and let you know. Apparently, um, apparently, Sam lost power at his house halfway through this. That's the oh, no. challenge of challenge oh. of podcasting um, from remotely during a pandemic. We're hoping he'll um he'll come back with us uh, like, shortly. But for now, but for now, he has Sam, Sam Cedar has not stopped Sam. talking. Trust me, he's he's not not including himself. Can I? Can I jump <laughs> he's in? Not for, interested. Can I jump I, I, in? For I want to let you jump in. I want to let you jump in as, as a result. I'm going to let yeah. you go next as well, a, to answer this question, though. Sure, but what? Say, before we, we all do that, three, we, all three people on the call have identified problems. Glenn, right. you've identified an economic problem and a, and a health problem. Ellie, you've definitely identified that we've got a testing problem. We've got a lot of issues when it comes to the safety of people's health. Alicia, you have specifically said that you're concerned about both of the of both of these um, issues, but nobody's talking about Glenn 
the solution. Instead of telling me what we shouldn't be doing, is anybody here, and Glenn will let you start, is anybody able to tell us what we should be doing? Yeah, I did it this week. Uh, and, and by the way... Well, I'm giving uh, you another chance okay, right now. Go for but, it. By the way, uh, my parents are both alive, and they're both in their mid-80s. And my in-laws are both alive, and they're both in their mid-80s. So I'm extremely concerned about the impact, the direct impact of the virus. Um we're going to have to reopen the economy. We're going to have to do so in a phased manner. Uh, we will have to have testing. We'll have to make sure that we are uh, tracking everything. Um, w- a few weeks from now, you're going to realize what the economic impact really means. Okay, we've had 17 million people lose their jobs over the past three weeks. That probably be 20 million coming up on this week. So it's real easy for people to hang out at home and say, oh, everything's fine, you know, but a lot of people aren't able to do that. And a lot of people aren't going to be able to pay their rent or pay their food bill, frankly. So we need a phased reopening of the economy and we need to do it as quickly as possible. We need to ensure that we're, we're testing as much as we possibly can. And yes, that is a challenge because we don't have the resources to do it. We need to ensure that we have, we need to ensure that we're when it comes, when I say our vulnerable population, older folks, you know, our assisted living facilities, our nursing homes, they all need to be locked down. Our hospitals need to be locked down. And we need to ensure that the people that are working there are following the mandates that are put forth. And we need to have a phase reopening where just as we phase things down, we need to start opening back up. The issue is what, at some point over the next several weeks, what's going to be left to open up? I think small businesses are going out of business. It's just going to be Walmart and the grocery store is going to be the only thing that left, the only thing that have capital in order to pay anybody. Um, so, so the question, uh, so my question for you, Alicia, Alicia, and and this is we we all know that mayors do the do the make the hard decisions and really do politics is local and the stuff yeah. that affects people's lives is at a local level. So, uh, so Mr. Mayor. Mad respect for the hard work that you have to do oh, and the decisions you, you have to make. That. But, but I have the question. But I want to ask Alicia this question, and then you can anybody can jump in. Who whose responsibility is it to be to be making those decisions, to be coming up with those plans? Is it the responsibility of each individual mayor? In in counties like Knox County, and and I don't know how many counties are in Tennessee. There are 100 in North Carolina, 95. all potentially doing different things. Um, is it the responsibility and the decision making of the governors, or is the leadership should that leadership being coming be coming from the president? Alicia? I think that there obviously has to be leadership, and I think more importantly, transparency and information that is coming from the White House and that is coming from the CDC. I think that then, um, because of the way that the beauty of our political system works, then it needs to be trickled down to the state and local level. I agree with Glenn uh, in that it needs to be, there's a lot of things that he should be making the decisions as uh, as a mayor. I'm I'm following Eric Garcetti, our mayor here in Los Angeles, and some of the decisions he's made I've agreed with and others and I have questions for, and I feel like there's lack of transparency. Uh, One of my frustrations is the, why do things keep changing from the federal level down. And we're not, I feel like we're not getting enough information there. I think it has to be information from the federal level, information from the white house and the CDC that is shared with local governments. Those state governments need to be making the decisions that Glenn said specifically when it comes to healthcare kind of regulation and care for people in nursing homes and in hospitals and those kinds of standards. And then from there, you can break it down to the County and the local level. I'm from Southeastern Oklahoma. The county where my parents live have no documented cases of COVID. 
So they should not be reacting in the same way that a city like New York is, for example. And the, the uniqueness of America is that that has to be, this is just proving to me over and over again, that the government has to be, the politics has to be local and local governments need to be making the best decisions for the people in their areas or, because we cannot sustain this. I mean, mentally, emotionally, physically, even for people's health. And then unfortunately, you're going to have people that are going to buck the system. You're going to have people that think it's no big deal. And that's where, you know, self-responsibility has to come in and hopefully good citizens come in. Okay, well, Ellie, uh, Alicia bucked the system a little bit this week. You tweeted, Alicia, um, after the president said the authority of the president of the United States is total. Alicia, <laughs> you tweeted, dear GOPers, how would you react if Obama said this? I'm assuming that you, you think that maybe Republicans would not have taken it, um, that well if the president, if President Obama had said it. Of course um, so, not. so, Ellie, I'm going to drop a bomb here and let you, let you go with it and everybody else jump in. Is, is Trump, cracking under this pressure here um does he have the power over governors is he is he starting to completely move on to 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 the media because he's completely cracking ellie what's going on with with president trump right now cracking suggests that he was ever put together um you 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 can't you can't break what was already broken the he's 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 reacting to this crisis as he has reacted to everything his entire life. He's completely narcissistic. He's completely concerned about what people think about him. Um, he's seems to have a real difficult time empathizing with anybody who is not him. Any of the, and uh, you know, Alicia, I think I think said very well about how she's concerned about both Glenn. Said very well about how she's how he's concerned about the healthcare uh, aspect as well as the economic aspect. Trump has no fealty, no ability to to handle the emotional weight and the emotional toll that this has happened. That this is weighing on the country. All he is concerned about is helping himself get reelected, and he understands understands that trying to run re for re-election in the middle of recession, which this is likely causing, um, is a very tough road. Okay, um, well, this, is, this, is, this is a topic that I, d I definitely don't want to leave Glenn and Alicia out of. Oh, well, I mean, I think like he, he's, um, he's no more or less cracked than he's ever been. Uh, I think, you know, from, from day one, he had a disregard for what the experts were telling him. The, in fact, even before day one, right? I mean, they fired the um, the the head of pandemic response who sat on the National Security Council. They fired the head of pandemic response that uh, sat at the Department of Homeland Security. They got rid of the people who were embedded in China from the CDC who were looking at the uh, the potential for pandemic. And, and and I will say this too that you know it wasn't just John, it wasn't just Donald Trump who did these things. Uh, John Bolton, it, it, it's, a, it's a Republican project to uh, cut back on what is considered government waste. And because there is a skepticism of what government does. And I think that, you know, we now know that um, just because at any given moment um, a government service isn't being used, it's not waste any more than, you know, it's waste that I have fire insurance for my house and my house didn't burn down this year. So, you know, it wasn't a waste. It, it's called insurance. And so, um, I mean, I think that the pressure is getting to him, but I don't think it's about coronavirus. I think it, he is worried about his his potential loss in November. And I think it's always been about that. And I think it always will be. 
Glenn, how do you feel about? I mean, that's you're, you're the you're the elected Republican official here. The uh, the federal government is not the decider of all things at all times, and the decisions uh, should be left up to the states and the localities. Uh, and President Trump was actually doing that. Um, and uh, when we're looking at the strategy for going forward, I think that needs to continue because, as Lisa pointed out, uh, we know the situation in our localities much better than anyone else does. And yes, what's appropriate in Knox County may not be appropriate someplace else. Uh, we we here again in Tennessee, we have we have ninety five counties, by the way, Clay, um, and some okay. of our rural well, counties. We got you beat, then we got a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but some of our rural counties have no cases, and then you look at Metro Davidson, which is Nashville, and uh, uh, Shelby County, which is Memphis, and they've been particularly hard hit. Um, and I, I expect what Governor Lee is going to do is uh, start lifting restrictions uh, slowly, um, but then also allowing uh, the local officials to uh, have discretion over whether they want to keep some things in place. Uh, and I think that's the way that it should be, frankly. So, so how, does that, how does that jive with, with what, what Alicia tweeted about, though? He's, he's changed, really, the, the, you know, uh, the, the, the terrain in which we're talking about. The federal government is the only entity in this country that is capable of maintaining a, a pandemic response team like the one that used to sit on the National Security Council. The federal government's the only one that is capable of maintaining the apparatus for a pandemic response on Department of Homeland Security. I mean, it may be the case that in certain cities in Tennessee, they may not want to issue a stay-at-home order. But the fact is that they're relying on federal money, and they are relying – and the federal government is the only institution and the only entity that has the ability to say, hey – we need uh, personal protection equipment in various parts around the country. We have the ability through the, uh, the Defense Prote- uh, Production Act to require certain um, uh, companies to produce this stuff. The federal government has that power. And, and now, now people may have a problem with it going back 100 years. And if that's the case, well, then, you know, I don't know. Take a time machine. But that power exists. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, that's that's a gets a good point, Glenn. If why if why does the president have um, so much want to say that he's got so much power over governors, but he's not willing to to he's not willing to make any um, moves to show his exert his power in other areas like the uh, Defense Production Act. Uh, in Tennessee, we've we've used our uh, resources through the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency to acquire PPE, and uh, we've been doing that ourselves. Uh, so I think, again, I think the states, the states can do it. Uh, it's just a matter of allowing them to do that. And we're in Tennessee. We're already doing a lot of these but things. But don't, don't you get a little bit tired of spending so much money on federal taxes only to find out they ain't working for you when something like this happens? Well, I've, yeah, and I have no idea why we'd want to give the federal government more power, but hey. I know, but you, you know. gave it, but you gave them the money. You gave them the money. Don't you want the, the ventilators? Yeah, sure, I guess, but we don't have a need for them. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, so, uh, so Alicia, I hate to, I hate to, sorry we, about we, that, Glenn. I might have pinned you there. No, um, <laughs> but we don't, we don't have, we don't have a need for it. You know, we're currently. Yeah, you don't have a, a need situation. for it, but, but it does, yes. but that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily discount the fact that New York gave them money too, and they do yeah. need them. I mean, Alicia, give me the, yeah, so give they me the can, argument. They can, work, they, they can, the state can work with the feds. That's fine. But as far as, you know, saying that the federal government has, holds the final decision on a lot of these things, I, I don't, th- yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't think that's the case. 
No, I, issue. I, no, I didn't say that. I said, that I said that. Ulti- I said ultimately, the federal government is not the dictator that should decide. For instance, you know what states do in their particular states. Okay, which was actually was what President Trump was was doing. Okay, so I'm agreeing with you guys. It should be, you know, that it should be mostly up to the discretion of the governors and the local government officials how we move through this and hopefully can open back up on the other side. Yeah, the federal government absolutely has a role, but it, it the onus is on the states to determine what they do or do not need because they're like we talked about earlier that the politics is local thing here is very applicable. I think another example of this is post Hurricane Katrina, right when people were blaming George W. Bush for not evacuating people and not sending resources, except the the rules on the books at the time. And I'm correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're still this way, so that the governor and or the state legislature had to vote to officially request that from the feds. And it's clear that in places like San Francisco, I think obviously everyone's eyes are on New York because of the spread there as well. Um, You know, New York needed the federal government's help. Maybe Tennessee didn't. And so there's the big difference. Hey, listen, if, 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 uh, who is the governor in Tennessee, if Bill Lee and mayor Glenn Jacobs don't need the federal government's help, more power to them, they should be able to get reelected for life. And I'm actually, I'm going to have to jump off and I'm, I'm so sorry. I have appreciated the conversation. Uh, and you know, thank you all guys. Thanks everybody. And I, uh, despite the fact that we argue, I, I do respect everybody's viewpoint. So thank you all very much. Well, I look, I, well, I, I, I look forward to your run for governor because I can, I can, I can feel it cooking up up in, up in, in Knoxville. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. I knew they were going to kill him. Please say FBI. This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. This is the story about two guys from opposite sides of the street. A hustler blamed for robbing the most dangerous gangsters in the country. This is like issued a, a death warrant for me for something that I don't even know anything about. And the cop who tried to save his life. They thought he had robbed the deadliest man in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. In 1970, Muhammad Ali triumphantly returned to the ring. At the hustlers party that followed, gangsters from around the country were robbed of a million dollars. This story from Atlanta, Georgia has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. This Halloween, listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. Soundtracks available on Spotify or wherever you stream your music. But I mean, like, everybody's got a podcast these days. But what would I know? I'm Satan, for God's sakes. Don't even get me started. Okay, so I want to change, I want to change, uh, 
topics here because we could certainly listen every week. We can talk about President Trump um, and definitely get people heated about that. But there's been a, a little bit of new news in the um, in the in the press this past week about President Biden, perhaps. Um, well, not perhaps, but being accused specifically uh, by a former staffer of unwanted sexual conduct um, on, a, on another podcast, a lady named Tara Reid. Um, she spoke out and accused Vice President Biden, then Senator Biden, of some pretty graphic, um, uh, some pretty graphic abuse, assault, um, I would say. Uh, Alicia, do just straight up, do you do you believe these accusations to be true? Uh, I think that there's obviously been a lot of joking and memes about how touchy feely uh, creepy Uncle Joe can get. Uh, I think I, I actually have a tendency. I think of all the Democrats, I'm glad he's the one that became the nominee because I think that he's the least likely to totally screw up the country on on the Democratic side. Obviously, I admire Megan McCain and watch her from afar, and she's a big fan of his as well. Um, but I think that there, listen, there's more evidence and more corroboration now against the Democratic nominee for president than there ever was against Justice Kavanaugh. And I think that that's... Do you think there's more corroboration? Is that true that there's more corroboration? The people yes, who, the people who said friends, she told them... She has friends that have come out and said that she told them at the time... But not on the record. Those, those, those folks that the New York Times spoke to were not willing to go on the record. Compared to Justice Kavanaugh's accuser who, when people were contacted, said, no, people were pressing me to say that this happened and it never happened. Not not under oath. Not even... That, that, I mean, that's just not... That's... Okay. Oh, uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're giving up that easily, Ellie? What's going on? <laughs> There's no way I'm going to litigate the Kavanaugh um, um, credible attempted rape allegations um, on this show. What I will say is that I am disappointed um, uh, that that we are in a situation where the two men who could legitimately be president of the United States um, are ha- do not have my trust um, when it comes to their past behavior um, with women, I am not trying to make a. Ellie, that's why I didn't vote for Trump in 2016. That was a big. I said I can't look at my daughters and say, "Hey, I voted for this guy." When all that crap came out against him in 2016, and I think this is a problem for the Democrats since y'all tend to claim to be, you know, the high road takers well, when it comes to this the, issue. So, Ellie, you believe this? You, Ellie, you believe you believe um, Tara Reid uh, and her story? My instinct is to believe women. And, 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 and I'm going, and I'm going to stay true to that regardless of there's, if there's a D or an R behind your name. Now, in a binary choice election where I've got one guy who's been accused by 23, I believe it is at this point, women of sexual misconduct, um, uh, uh, to say nothing of women who just, are aware of his general sexual harassment to say nothing of his affairs to say, I mean, like if I'm choosing between that and Biden, it's still not a hard choice for me, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite about this. Like I, I think that this aspect of Biden's history is, is problematic. I I think that it should have been more of a, of a, of a, of a red flag uh, than it was during the primary. Um, And I'm not happy about it. Like it's, again, it's a, it's a, it's a binary choice election. And so I'm going to make my binary choice, but this isn't great. 
I mean, Sam, Sam is, I want to get Sam in here. Um, uh, your thoughts on, on the Tara Reid issue. Is she, a, is she an, a victim? I mean, some people are saying it's fake news. Some people are saying that she's a asset of either the Russians or asset of the, of the Bernie bros or the Elizabeth Warren, um, supporters who wanted to hurt Joe Biden. Um, I, I, Ellie makes a point. If, if you're a Democrat and you're going, and so does Alicia, if you're going to, if you're a Democrat and you're going to say we trust the women, then you, you're sort of forced in a way to trust, um, this, this accusation also. But there's also not been a pattern of that uh, sort of abuse from Vice President Biden, or at least no evidence of a pattern of that. And that's a pretty aggressive sexual assault for someone to 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 commit against a, a woman and then not have ever done it before or since. Yeah, I, mean, I take it. I take it. I take it seriously. There were there were two things in the. Um, uh, I listened to the Katie Halper uh, interview, and I there was a story uh, that the Intercept wrote about uh, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, I mean, I I um, I take it seriously. I think uh, the New York Times, you know, certainly if there was another accusation that came out that was consistent with um, you know sort of the the, the seriousness of of Reed's, um, I would become uh, far more uh, convinced. But um, but I, yeah, I take it seriously, and and you know we'll, we'll obviously never be in a position to know. But you know she filed a criminal complaint, and you, and you can't do that. Um, I mean it's it's illegal to do that unless you're you're serious about that complaint. And I imagine that the police are gonna um, are gonna speak to uh, the friend that she supposedly told contemporaneously, and the other friend that she supposedly told in 2008. I think there's other aspects of that story in the Times that I find uh, problematic. You know, the question is whether it's going to implicate my vote. I mean, um, at you know, like Ellie says, in the uh, worst case scenario, I have a choice between uh, two men, um, one who has a, um, a an, you know, an extensive record of sexual assault and another one who has a record of sexual assault. If it turns out that Tara Reid's um, uh, accusations have have merit, and you know, uh, th- there's the baseline. That's I think, why I don't think it's. I think I don't think. I, I think there's really. To me, I'm a, not a fan, even if it's mainstream media or leftist media like the New York, New York Times um, kowtowing or, you know, this, this also happened. Of course, we know that the National Examiner w- would just do whatever Donald Trump wanted. I'm not a fan of any media entity changing their story because a campaign or a candidate put pressure on them to do so. And I think that the New York Times should totally be ashamed for what they did and how they changed that. I think the I think the executive editor um, explained his, explained in an interview with their media columnist today uh, the the motivation behind that. I'm not going to speak too much on it because I don't have it in front of me. But um, that was that was some pressure that um, they got from the Biden campaign. They did succumb to that pressure. They did make a change in the story. Um, they did get a lot of pushback on it. Um, and I think they explained themselves, um, or at least the executive editor did. Ellie, I want to go back real quick to one of the things that you said. You said I'm inclined to trust women um as as you know i think we all understand we need to because this me too movement has has shown that but chris matthews got fired of of maybe for several things but he lost his job he might not have gotten fired he got pushed out whatever you want to call it a few weeks ago and one of the one of the uh catalysts for that was a uh interview that he did with elizabeth warren where she had pressed 
Mayor Mike Bloomberg uh, on some accusations and allegations that were made against him. And Chris Matthews asked, why would he lie? Why would um, uh, Mike Bloomberg lie? I mean, I'm showing my bias here. Obviously, we know why he'd lie. He'd lie if he (laughs) didn't want to get in trouble or get caught. But, But I thought it was really fascinating and interesting that Chris Matthews was the one who got in trouble more for that simply because he deigned to ask the question, could the woman have been lying? Um, is it, is it now, Ellie, completely off limits for people to ask that question? If, if a woman were to come out tomorrow, regardless of her motivation and make the claim that Vice President Biden assaulted her in 2006 somewhere, would we then just, are, are we at a point where we are now required to believe women when they make accusations? No matter what? No. And am I going to get fired from my job for even asking you that question? (laughs) No, I don't think so. And I think there's more subtlety both to the Chris Matthews situation and to the place we live in where we are in the world right now than than both sides uh, a rhetoric kind of plays to. I think there's 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 a nuanced kind of issue going on as as we are trying to kind of grow up as a society and deal with this problem. Um, Chris Matthews didn't get fired because or pushed out because he asked the question. Chris Matthews, the problem there was the was the sheer incredulity that he that he invinced at the mere notion that that this woman could be telling the truth, right? That that's what got him into trouble. Not simply asking in a good journalist way, well, let's weigh up the pros and cons and figure out if Bloomberg is credible or not on this issue, right? I think that there are lots of situations that one can imagine where a woman would come with would. would would present as not credible. Sam brought up: Does the does the uh, does the uh, um, alleged predator have a history of this? Is this not just the first time, but the second or third, you know, fifth or eighth? Or- yeah, but 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 you chose. But you're saying you believe this particular accusation against Vice President Biden, even though that particular thing doesn't exist. I mean, the the New York Times said that there was no evidence of any history of it um, at all, and no evidence since. But you said that you believe the woman. I, I think where I am, I think more accurately, and again, there's nuance and subtlety here. I think more accurately here is I'm with Sam on the serious, the the aggressiveness. I think was Sam's word um, of the assault is shocking, uh, and and I don't I don't know that if I believe that um, that something went on that per- that perhaps was untoward. I'm inclined to believe the woman. I am when I say believe women. I think when people say believe women, what they mean is all else being equal, right? Um, uh, with no hard evidence one way or the other, it would be better for society if we shifted our our, 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 our yes, it would because that, well, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I'm gonna, listen, I'm gonna get in trouble. I'm sure for asking the question, and I want to get Alicia in here. But would it? Because I mean, there, there's there's certainly. There's certainly an argument to be had that in a different, listen, politics, you decide to get into politics, you're open game for this. But, but what, what she has accused Vice President Biden of, this is not a sexual advance. This is not a, uh, a uncomfortable touching. She accused him of sticking his hand up her skirt and inserting her finger, his fingers into her vagina in the, in the hallway of a Senate office building. It's a fair That is, that is a, that is a, uh, that is a a rape. Um, it is a, a horrible it's sexual assault. That's, 
It is that is the the details are one of the reasons I think that and so it's better. And, and, but Clay, it's a fair question. But yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna die on that hill of saying it would be better for society if we shifted our focus from reflexively believing that women are liars, from reflexively believing that men oh, constantly do this, um, to to a standard where if a if a woman if a person is going to go through what will be the media firestorm of accusing a prominent, famous, powerful man um, of a sexual assault, my inclination is that something actually happened there. That people Alicia, are not looking at Alicia, Alicia, is that is that fair? If you're willing to go through that sort of uh, that sort of media firestorm, there's no other motivation for that at all, and therefore we should believe the the woman. Or, no, I, I mean, because it I sounds think, like Christine Blasey Ford was willing to go through yeah, quite I a bit. There, and Hill was willing to go through quite a bit. There were a lot of, and I think that even you've seen with oh, I don't know, the Covington boys or other examples. I could think of maybe some on the left, if I had a second to Google, where people were thrust into a media firestorm that they didn't even anticipate or expect. And even you have people that sign up for something and they don't understand the the severity and the ramifications of what that they're going to end up going through. And I think that we see this time and time again, especially in the media world that we live in today. Uh, I think I understand the points and, and being a woman who has been assaulted and had to go through the, the scrutiny of filing the police report and picking an asshole out of a lineup. Like uh, it is difficult. It is hard to come forward. And that wasn't even a public facing thing or a public facing person. Um, but yeah, women lie too. Women are not perfect and women can have political or personal or financial or other types of motivations. And it really just bothers me as a society as a whole, if you're like, Hey, somebody, a woman said that this happened. So yes, it must be totally true without giving somebody else the benefit of the doubt or the ability for, for them to share their, their side of the story. Listen, I'm inclined to wonder if this did happen simply because the campaign tried so hard to shut it down. That to me is very shady. If, you know, transparency, did they try to, did they try to shut it down or did they try to change the wording? Because I believe that he, I believe that they came out and, and pretty, pretty specifically denied it you it wasn't a shutdown it was a response responding to something doesn't deny is not responding to something is not shutting it down listen i'd have to go back and re-listen to the to the editors i'm I'm stuck at home with my three children at the age of six so i tend not to listen to sexual assault allegations on podcasts (laughs) but i'd have to go back and listen to what exactly the editor of the new york times said the pressure was from the campaign but a lawyer once told me if you always tell the truth you never remember have to remember what you said and i think i believe i believe the change that they were looking for that if you're always a gentleman then you're not going to have to you know end up requesting that a story be changed or wording be changed for something if you deny it deny it and then you can have the proof to back it up I believe I want to give Sam the last word on this and and I'll get to you in a second, Sam, but I want to just clarify. I believe the change that they asked was that there was a sentence that specifically said that he had not, there had been no accusations of wrongdoing other than some, um, touching and hugging. And I think the, the, the campaign believed that that implied that touching and hugging was allegations of wrongdoing um and they didn't believe that the wording of that sentence was fair that those allegations of touching and hugging were not actually allegations of wrongdoing so they asked that that sentence be changed and the new york times uh gave in and agreed to change that but um sam i want to give you the last word on this well, I mean, I was, I was, I was more or less going to say the same thing. Like, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of Joe Biden's. I mean, I there was um, 
I mean, maybe maybe there was double-digit numbers of people in the uh, primary that I would have preferred uh, than Joe Biden. So, you know, I have to sort of check myself in terms of how much of this is uh, motivated reasoning. But, yeah, I think it was a little bit unfair the way that they, they characterized that. They said there's been no other, um, uh, you know, allegations of sexual assault except for him essentially getting into people's private, you know, uh, space. And he, he's definitely sort of like uh, in other people's space in that way. I mean, look, we're never going to know the answer on this. And and I, you know, I think the reporting from the New York Times, there's a couple of red flags there for me, frankly. Like, you know, why was she immediately or suddenly removed from having her, her role as, um, as overseeing the interns? And nobody has answered that question. And it, it was sort of a bizarre thing to have her removed from. The intern said there was no issue. So it was obviously they, uh, the people in that office got concerned about her for some reason, and no one's addressed that. But um, I think, look, we're not going to know the answer to this. That's just the bottom line. And even if I am inclined to believe that something went down that was uh, at the very least inappropriate and perhaps reached the level of sexual assault, um, you know, as a, as a political matter, uh, when I look at it as a political analysis, I don't think it's going to make a difference in the context of the election. I'm not saying it shouldn't. Uh, I'm not sure how it could manifest itself. I mean, I guess somebody could stay home and not vote for president at all. Uh, but uh, I just don't think it's going to have the implications uh, on the election at this point that uh, maybe in a, in a different era, in a different context, it should. And I think if it, I think uh, as well, we all know that I, my colleague and, uh, friend Ben Shapiro talks about this a lot, like like or dislike Donald Trump, a lot of this stuff with him is kind of baked into the cake, so to speak. Whereas with Joe Biden, this necessarily isn't, right? Like this coming out is very serious uh, and, and should, and I hope is looked into and is completely addressed. And we are able to find out the truth. I am a type of person. I want justice to be served no matter who, who the guy or, or, you know, sometimes even the gal is here. Uh, But I think that for the Joe Biden thing, it's very shocking because it's not as if he has a record of, you know, being on tape talking about, inappropriate things with women and how they'll do anything for you and where you can smack them and put your hands. Right. Um, so I think it's shocking in that way in that maybe it would be more negatively effective for against his campaign. If we weren't in this crazy world of a pandemic and a failing economy, um, you know, if, if this were just a regular election cycle, I think that you would see this creating more waves for Joe Biden. And you would have the people saying, but Donald Trump, and I'm just saying, not that I agree with it, but the, but Donald Trump part is just kind of baked into who he is. And, and voters have kind of taken that with a grain of salt. I want to move on to our, um, I want to move on to our quick fire, a quick fire round. We let our listeners uh, send in questions all week long for our panelists. Um, and we throw some that don't necessarily have anything to do with the topics we've talked about tonight. Throw some at each one of them, um, for a quick fire round. Um, Nadine from Sam Bernardino asks Sam Cedar, no fracking, no smog. Is COVID-19 good for the environment, Sam? I mean, um, I, you know, COVID-19, I think one of the, the side effects, I mean, I, this is not the way I would choose to deal with it. But, you know, I have friends in L.A. who said that they've never seen the sky so blue. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that um, um, based upon the way that we rely on carbon uh, energy, 
in the context of a recession or, you know, uh, stalled economic activity, we end up, um, you know, extending uh, our our shelf life on this planet. But there are much better ways to do it in much more preferable ways, certainly, than, you know, having a pandemic or any type of economic recession. We can fund renewable uh, energy sources and, um, and, and, and achieve both growth and economic activity and a better environment and hopefully staving off or mitigating some of the impacts of climate change. Uh, Alicia, Greta from Denver asks, was it worth the two days to wait to print President Trump's signature on the stimulus checks? <laughs> I think that this is uh, silly, and I. but once again, it's baked into the Trump cake. He's going to try to make it about him, and he wants to have ownership of, in his mind, kind of saving the day and sending this money to the American people. Uh, no, it's, it's silly. It's not worth it, but it also wasn't worth it when the 2008 stimulus went through for Barack Obama to put you know, this roadside project or this school project or this library project funded by the 2008 stimulus package, right? Um, but politicians do this all the time, and it really came as no surprise to me. Did it? Anyone? Really? <laughs> uh, Ellie Rochelle from Houston, or Rochelle, Rochelle, Rochelle from Houston, asks, has China captured the WHO, the World Health Organization, Ellie? What? <laughs> No, no, this attack, this attack on the World Health Organization is ridiculous. Like, how, how are you going to, how are you going to yell at the World Health Organization during a global pandemic? That's just, again, if this goes back to something I said earlier on the podcast, and I will just hit the point again. During the crisis is the worst time to make wide base, broad based decisions on what we should do after the crisis. We should make those decisions. After the crisis, when people have cooler heads and are thinking rationally, and hopefully we're not led by a narcissistic crazy man. I got to say, though, the World Health Organization is culpable and has been... Damn, folks, this is supposed to be quick-fire questions. What y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) Quick-fire. I have to shave. (laughs) Lord, um, Veronica from Portland asked a funny question, a cute question, that I'm going to pose to every single one of you and let you each take a half an hour to answer if you'd like to. (laughs) Veronica from Portland says, the pandemic has been good for pandas. Um, Pandemic, even the pandas are mating again. We can sure be sure to expect the unexpected what other unexpected things might happen sam you start what unexpected other things that are positive um oh god who cares what what else might happen oh i think we're headed into a very very creepy area era when we ultimately i mean and hopefully this happens soon but i don't have high hopes we get testing to determine whether people have the antibodies And hopefully the antibodies will prevent people from getting uh, reinfected. And we're going to have this very strange uh, new element of class in society where if you have the antibodies, you're going to be able to sort of roam freely. And if you Mm -hmm. don't, you're going to be constrained uh, to home. And it's going to be it's going to be really super as creepy as things are now. And, you know, I'm speaking as someone who's coming from, uh, you know, one of the epicenters. And I suspect uh, most of the people listening to this, if they haven't experienced already, and they probably haven't, they will experience it soon. uh, Believe me um, that that this part of it is going to be even creepier. 
ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have a comedian like Sam Cedar on the show to really lighten <laughs> things up for us. Yeah, exactly. uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that alicia alicia what what uh, unexpected things are you expecting i i um so i'm kind of a, a hippie when it comes to child rearing and uh, birth and i am seeing an influx of interest in home births and so i think that that's really fascinating and i think that in a lot of ways the good thing that has come out of this is uh, a lack of bureaucracy and some dumb regulations that people are realizing were dumb regulations going away telehealth should be a thing that is um, more applicable than giving people better access to to medical care in that way, right? Um, and people and women specifically educating and empowering themselves to figure out what they want their birthing experience to be like. And turns out it's helpful when you can have a partner there and you're not going to be separated from your baby or in a germ-infested hospital. Okay. Okay. Ellie, you got to bring this home for us. Uh, give, me, give me something unexpected that might not keep me awake all night. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Old people are learning how to use Zoom and this, will, and this will decrease the the average commute time for white collar workers across the nation. Because now people will realize that they can zoom into their meeting instead of zooming into the city. And that's going to be great. So that's number one. And number two, karaoke is dead. The next time I will do karaoke. And the next time I go out in public to spittle into a microphone that I'm sharing with strangers. Interesting. Karaoke is dead. It's all going to be TikTok and zooming going forward. I'm sorry, karaoke bars, but you're never coming back. It's not just it's not just old people learning Zoom for office meetings either. Uh, you know, my mom is learning the computer so much more now, yeah. uh, so much more now because she, you know, she has no choice. If yeah. she wants to see her grandkids, she's going to have to get on <laughs> Google Duo somehow. Yeah. Where can we where can we see and hear you, Sam? Obviously, you've got your uh, your podcast every day, the Majority Report with Sam Cedar. You can find um, that, uh, and obviously, we've got your Ring of Fire Radio every weekend. What what else um, can we see or hear you on, Sam? Well, people can watch the show on YouTube live every day at noon. And um, also we're doing the AM Quickie, which is about a seven-minute news brief in the morning. It's uh, available for free on Stitcher and iTunes. That's something I haven't had during a quarantine. That's for sure, an AM Quickie. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's too much information. That's, that's That's a more totally expected thing. <laughs> yes, Alicia, where are we seeing here? You? I was going to say, I, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of COVID babies because of those AM quickies that people are doing. Right. But, if you really um, want to bring a human into the world at this point, <laughs> right now, um, yes, I would. As as a mom of a nine month old, I would highly recommend a snuggly baby during a pandemic. It actually makes Fair. things better. Um, but everybody can just find me on social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. What's your handle? At Alicia Kraus. It's weird. It's E L I S H A. Oh, we can spell your name, girl. Good. And uh, and we can still see and hear you online also. Yes, absolutely. Daily Wire. Very yeah. good. And and Ellie, we know we can read read your stuff at The Nation now, too. But what else um, can we look forward to from you? Yeah, right now, I'm just basically on Twitter at Ellie NYC, E-L-I-E-N-Y-C, where I tweet uh, mean things about the president and great things about video games. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, all the video games that you are you are just living for right now. God bless you. I tell my kids that'll rot your brain. Yeah. So uh, be careful. Uh, dude, uh, I, my, my kids can now com- can now consistently beat me at the Super Smash Brothers uh, on on the Nintendo Switch. Um, because well, there you go. And who who said kids weren't learning yeah. anything during the quarantine? They can learn. <laughs> Ellie Mistal, uh, Alicia Krause, and Sam Cedar, thank you so much for joining us. Another special thanks to Mayor Glenn Jacobs um, of Knox County, Tennessee. Thank you all for listening. You'll hear us back here um, next week. Uh, you can download this wherever you get your podcast. You obviously downloaded it today, so you knew how to find it in the first place. And uh, you can send your questions for next week's panel to us on social media at Politicon. Uh, That's Instagram and Twitter. And we'll see you back here next week to try to figure out how the heck are we going to get along. Thanks, guys. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly. And look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that. But I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. 13 Days of Halloween. A remote hotel, the most unusual guests, a tour guide that can't be trusted, and the newest arrival... Is you. Why are you here again? They sound like someone you trust. I know you can hear me. Starring Keegan Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.